It's every week. Hey, what's up, church? Uh, good morning. Welcome to July when you're not supposed to be in church, and uh, it looks like we don't have enough seats. If you've got seats and you're in the, if, if you can, in the back and, and you feel like I might disturb, just you can work your way in and, and people will let you in. That would be great. Uh, the rest of you, grab your Bibles, Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16. Uh, we are in week three of a four-week series called Master Plan. I love this time of year. Uh, I love July. The, the days are hot. The days are long. White people turn colors. You know, I love it. It's great. And again, it, it is, uh, this is supposed to be like low attendance month in church world, but what typically what God has been doing here at 1122 is, ev- I mean, aren't these baptism videos just the coolest things you've ever seen every week? Did you know that, um, amen, do you know that God saved so many people and so many people have been baptized here that we don't even show all the same ones at the same service anymore? So like, it's not like one for the weekend, but we have to split them up or we'll be watching you know, videos for 25 more years just on what we did last, last baptism service. So each, each weekend we just show, I don't know, 10 or 12 people that are proclaiming Christ as Lord. And I'm the most blessed pastor alive to get to be able to preach after that kind of um, just proclamation of Jesus week after week after week. And it has to do with what, we, what we're talking about. <clears throat> we're talking about um, for four weeks, master plan, that, that there is a plan for your life. I don't know what age you realized that you were not in charge, that there was someone greater than you, regardless of how you had to or, tried to order your steps, that there was somebody bigger than you, or I don't know what age you realized that your plan was not a great plan. Um, I know your mom told you, but you didn't believe her, and you had to figure that one out on your own. Some of you realized it wasn't a great plan because you got everything you tried to get in your plan, and then you were still left wanting, and you realized, well, that was a dumb plan. And then some of you, you just had a dumb plan. And so you're here battered, beaten, and bruised. So all of us are welcome in this place. And what we're talking about for these four weeks are that the same, the same one, the same sovereign God that spoke you and I into existence, that hung the stars in the sky, and the Bible says knows them by name, that he knows you too, that he cares for you too. And just like um, Anne von Thrawn said in her in her baptism video, that because of the cross of Jesus Christ, that God, the almighty, sovereign, perfect, just God, looks at you with delight. And that's a part of what we're talking about. So Acts chapter 16, we're going to pick it up in verse 16. Um, Here we go, 16, 16. Uh, If you're new to Bible study, Acts is about that far into the Bible. Okay, does that help? All right, good luck. And then you're going to want to like leave a a bookmark there, because next week we'll be in... Acts 16. Okay, so here we go. Acts chapter 16, as we, that's Paul, uh, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, that's the we, as we were going to the place of prayer, you'll remember last week, um, Lydia was at the place of prayer, and she got saved. She surrendered her life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and we did a sermon, we we did a a sermon last week called Order Salutis, the Order of Salvation, which is really like a seminary class that you take, and then God saved 38 people last weekend here at Church 1122. Amen? Amen. Amen. So as those four are heading back to the place of prayer where Lydia got saved last week, uh, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. So there's this girl. Not only uh, does she have physical slavery, but she has spiritual slavery also. So her life in in all aspects is defined by bondage, that she's spiritually oppressed, and she has this what the Bible would call a demon in her, and it's called, the, uh, it's called python in, in the Greek, and she had the ability to tell the future, and so people would bring 
people would come up to her and, and, and she would tell them their future. And then uh, she had these owners that were exploiting her and abusing her and using her for their own gain. So in verse 17, she, this is demon-possessed girl, she followed Paul and us crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now look at what she says. She gets it right, doesn't she? Does she say anything untrue? You know, one of the things that I think is really, really interesting in the scriptures is, especially in the, in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, Jesus is proclaiming himself as the son of the living God, the lamb that has come to take away the sins of all mankind. And uh, religious people can't figure out who he is, even though he says it all the time. And even some of his disciples can't really figure out who he is. There are times about two years into the ministry, Jesus says, I'm going to do this so that you'll believe, until you think, well, what have they been doing for the two years? They've fallen him around, right? They don't even get it. But the group of, uh, or the entities that always get it right are the demons. That when Jesus encounters the demons, they know exactly who he is. In Matthew chapter 8, it's one of my favorite, uh, favorite stories in, in the New Testament. Jesus encounters these two guys that are demon-possessed, and they're just beating all these people up. And so Jesus walks in, and the demons recognize him, and <clears throat> he hadn't even said anything yet. And in Matthew chapter 8, the demons speak through these guys and say, Oh, son of God, have you come here to torment us before the time? And what the demons knew, they knew Jesus was the son of God, and they knew that Jesus was going to win in the end. And essentially what they're saying is, we thought we had two more rounds. We didn't know you were going to tap us out now. So could we hang around for a little while longer? And I've got an idea. How about send us into those pigs? And so Jesus cast those demons out and into some pigs. And I love this because I hunt pigs. And, uh, and this, this herd of pigs goes off the cliff into the ocean and they drown. Isn't that awesome? You should read your Bible. See, there's cool stories like that in here. So every time, <clears throat> every time Jesus would encounter, like at this supernatural spiritual level, demons, they recognized him as God. They recognized him as God. And so that's, that's what's happening here. These men, this is what she's screaming every day. These men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Verse 18. I love this verse too. And this she kept doing for many days. So every day, Paul and the crew get up and they're like, oh, dang, there's that girl again, right? And they're trying to slip her and they're trying to, well, let's go this way. And then she shows up there and she's like, hey, they're witnessing, you know. And then this part of the verse is my favorite. So, and this she kept doing for many days. Paul... Having become greatly annoyed. It just makes me feel better about my own soul. <laughs> that Paul is greatly annoyed. And turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. It just, I just think that's funny. I just think Paul is walking around. He's just trying to do his deal. He's trying to build relationships. He's trying to share the gospel. And before he can do it the way he wants to do it, this demon-possessed chick runs in and is like, hey, this is service of the most high God. And so eventually Paul is just like, ain't nobody got time for that. And boom, cast out the demon. Lord Jesus, cast him out, right? And I love that. Apparently it's not a sin to be greatly annoyed. Praise God. Can I get an Amen. <clears throat> Now, I, I, I don't know that I've ever personally cast out a demon. I sent a seventh grader home from camp one time. That was about as close as I've ever come, I think. <clears throat> but he cast out the demon. So it's funny. It, it is funny. I love it. But what's not funny is that me and you walk beside people that are physically and spiritually oppressed 
And you can call it whatever you want to. You can call it addiction. You can call it bondage. You can call it bad habits. You can call, and I don't care what you call it. But I'm telling you, it, it's a demonic uh, oppression. It's either sniper fire from the enemy or it's collateral damage from the fall. Either way, it's an attack of the enemy. It really doesn't matter. And you and I, almost on a daily basis, we know people. And they're addicted to substances, to alcohol, to drugs, to unhealthy relationships, to, I mean, all kind of stuff. I mean, they are just, they find themselves in spiritual and, and which will lead to physical bondage. And instead of being greatly annoyed by it, we just put up with it and excuse it and overlook it. And shame on us as a church. Shame on us when we're more concerned about what that person thinks of us than we are for the soul of that person. How dare we look, look at somebody and just ignore some really, really destructive behaviors in their world. Which just trust me, there's at least some kind of spiritual influence there heading them down that road. And instead of being greatly annoyed and doing something about it, we're more concerned about what they think of us so we keep our mouth shut and we ignore it. Church, I want to be the kind of church that is so greatly annoyed by physical and spiritual bondage that we risk the friendship for the sake of the friend and that we are willing to step in and cast out a demon. Now, I'm not talking about some kind of weird exorcism stuff, okay? And there's some of you in here. God bless your ministry, all right? Just relax. That's not really how we're rolling, all right? So... I mean, we pray for people, and we pray for, for freedom, and we pray for supernatural healing in this place, but my experience in ministry doesn't look like the guys on television. You watch the guys on television, the prayer time at the end, and they come on down, and, you know, the pastor puts his hands on, and he prays, and in Jesus' name, and people fall out, and they actually have people catching them and all of that. That's not typically how it goes with me. My experience will be at the end of this service, if you need healing or you need prayer or you need to be set free, come on and I'll pray for you and I'll put my hands on you and I'll pray like crazy and then typically at the end of the prayer, people say, thank you, pastor, and then they just walk back to their seat. But there are times when God sets you free supernaturally in that moment. I'm meeting with a guy uh, now that feels called into ministry and was walking in addiction uh, just a few years ago, maybe even months ago. And so as I was talking about it, I said, brother, uh, before you go into full-time ministry, you've got to walk in freedom and obedience from that, you know, for a season before you just step into shepherding some other people. And he said, I am walking free in that. And I, I, how did that happen? And he says, you were preaching James chapter 5, is anyone among you sick? Then let him come and be prayed for by the elders. And that this guy comes up to me and asks for prayer, and I just put my hands on him. I'm praying that he would be healed and set free in Jesus' name. And this guy describes a supernatural experience where he just felt overcome by the Holy Spirit and the chains fell off and he's walking in freedom. Amen? Amen. So that happens. That happens. And then some of you, some of you will be set free through years and years and years of counseling and group and, uh, and celebrate recovery and medication and all of those things. But as long as Jesus saves and heals who cares right whether God wants to supernaturally heal you or it's just through God's common grace to heal you I don't care to God be the glory but we're going to be the kind of church that sets people free verse 19 so they do this they set this girl free verse 19 but when her owners saw that they their hope of gain was gone you see these were just selfish guys they were abusing this girl they were using her for their own selfish gain They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before their rulers. And when they had brought them 
to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing the city. What you need to know about a magistrate is that a magistrate purchased the right to be the overseer or the governor of that city. And the only thing that they really had to do to continue to be the magistrate is to keep the peace. If there were disturbances that would arise in their little colonies, then Rome, this massive empire, then they would just kick you out and they would get another magistrate. So the people that wanted to get Paul and Silas um, thrown in prison, they knew that if they say these words, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city, the magistrate is really thinking about himself. Because if you disturb our city, then Rome's going to disturb my, my family. And so I don't want that. Verse 21. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Verse 22. And the crowd joined in in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them. That's Paul and Silas. And gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison. You need to underline that part, the inner prison, and fasten their feet in the stocks. The inner prison was below the regular prison. It was dark. There's no light there. It was dirty. All of the sewage of the regular prison dumps into the inner prison. It's nasty. They're beaten. They're bruised. um, And they're locked in stocks. And what a stock was in the first century prison is they would basically chain your feet or, or secured your feet to the wall. So you couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't even sit down because the wall was behind you. You're, you're in the darkness. All of the sewage is dumping out to you. You don't even have a place to go to the bathroom except right there where you are. And why are these men in prison? They're not being punished by God. In fact, it's their faithfulness that got them there. It's their faithfulness that got them there. Now, I don't know what you would think, but I bet Silas is probably thinking, man, we should have gone to Asia, right? Remember a few weeks ago when God says no? Well, this is a bummer, all right? I thought it was going good with Lydia last week, but now we have taken a turn for the worst. So what happens, what happens when you find yourself in this kind of pain? Um, one of the things that you've just got to know is that God does not always call us to the safe and the secure. That God does not always call us to the safe and to the secure. That these men are here because of their faithfulness. This isn't punishment from God. Apparently, it's part of His plan. But in our country, listen, especially modern-day evangelical American churches, we, love, we, we worship at the idol of safety and security. You know how I know? Let your kid ride down the street with no helmet on on a bicycle. And parents, they'll call the government on you. They'll be like, we have an unfit parent on our street. Why? They let their child ride the tricycle without full protective body armor, and it's dangerous. How many of you, if you're 40 and up, how many of you grew up riding a helmet with your bicycle? Anybody? You better not raise your hand, all right? You better not. No. No. But we are, and I'm, I mean, I'm pro-safety, but, but we are obsessed I mean, I can remember growing up in, in my dad's 72 Chevy pickup with a bench seat, and daddy was driving, and then, and then my younger brother would stand in the middle on the bench so he could see out of the window, and then I would sit over there, shotgun, no AC, had that one little triangle window, right? You'd turn sideways, get a little airflow going. And then if you lost something behind the seat, in the seats, you'd reach down to get it and pull it. What is this, dad? It was the seatbelt. We didn't wear them. Daddy go, tuck that back in there, son. It's going to fly around and hurt somebody, right? 
And if you got too hot, he'd be like, well, get in the back. And while you're riding down, you would open that sliding glass window and climb into the bed of the truck. And you always knew, because by the time you got where you're going, all your hair was over on this one side. You were there. We are obsessed with safety. We bought a car this year, and it is, I mean, it's like a five-point harness system for our kids. And we got everybody, I mean, it is just safety rules our worlds. And what will begin to happen to you, Christian, is when God commands you to do something, but it does not line up with your American view of safety, and you'll start, you'll start making up your own Bible verses. Because that's what you do. I hear you. You make up your own. Well, I think the Bible says that everything happens for a reason. No? The reason this happens is because you're an idiot, so kind of you're right. Okay? Or, you know, God won't give us more than we can handle. What? Is that in Second Hesitations? What book are you reading from that's not in the Bible? God crushed his own son more than he can handle. He's sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Not my will, but your will be done. So because you don't feel a peace about it? Now, what you're doing is you're taking a passage from Philippians where, where Paul writes. Guess where he writes it from? Prison. And he writes... Uh, make your request known to God, and the peace of God that transcends understanding will guard your heart and mind. That's different than, um, I don't have a peace about it. And then what begins to happen is your emotions are your God. And God may be calling you to places that are not safe and that are not secure. And that's, that's what he does here. And now, <laughs> what, what would you do if you were there? Chained to the wall in the inner prison? I mean, look, if it's Paul, Silas, and me, I, I'm, I'm going, where are you, God? This ain't fair. This is not the way I saw this going down. You, you got to know Silas is leaning over to Paul going, hey, bro, this is not what you told me was going to happen. Because you got to know Paul, Silas was stoked. When he got invited to be in the crew, he probably thought, man, I'm going to pastor like the largest church. I'm going to be an outreach magazine. I'm going to have a TV show, more podcasts than anybody else. I mean, this is going to be legit. And then, and then they, Lydia gets saved, and they cast out a demon, and he's like, man, this is starting to get some traction. And the next thing he knows, he's chained up in prison. I mean, if I'm in that situation, I'm praying what all of us are praying. Where are you, God? Where are you? I did my part. I preached. I proclaimed. I cast out the demons, shared the gospel with Lydia, didn't go to Asia, went to Macedonia. I've done everything you've told me to do now where are you? I did my part. Why don't you do your part? And, and let's, let's be honest. We don't, we don't often tell these kind of stories at church, do we? I mean, I'm still waiting on the baptism video. I love the baptism videos, but I'm still waiting on the one that starts out. You know what? My life is going pretty good. And then I started going to church, and I met Jesus, and now it's horrible, and I'm in prison, and I'll see y'all when I get out. Jesus is my Lord. But the thing is, I've been pastoring for 20 years, so I know that's oftentimes the story. The gospel is not follow Jesus and, and he gives you cash and prizes. Or follow Jesus and he works out all the details of your life. The gospel is you surrender your life to Jesus and you get Jesus. That's it. He's more than enough. And I know some of you kind of feel a bit like this. I mean, you feel like, where are you, God? This isn't fair. I did my part and I do your part. And I bet Silas is probably thinking, hey, Paul, we probably should have left that girl alone, right? 
I also wonder if, if, if Silas leans over to Paul and says, <clears throat> hey, Paul, did you know this was going to happen? I mean, did you know it was going to turn out like this? And one of the things that we remember we picked up two weeks ago in chapter 16 is, is this pronoun starts being used, we. And we went here, and we went there, and they did this to us. And that, that, that we is Luke. And Luke was one of the disciples. He was one of the original 12. He's one of the apostles. And so what that means is Luke is the only one in the crowd. He's the only one that knows the pre-crucified and resurrected Jesus. So Luke was actually there when Jesus was doing miracles and when Jesus was, was talking and doing sermons and all of that. Everybody else, they've met the post-resurrected Jesus. I mean, the Jesus that Paul met, he was on the road to Damascus, bright light shines down, makes him blind. Who are you, Lord? He surrenders his life to, to Jesus that way. And so I got to believe that, <clears throat> that a part of what happened with Luke being a part of the team is that Luke probably told Paul about all of this. Like the first time they got arrested and beaten up and battered and bruised, Luke probably leaned into Paul and said, hey, Paul, Jesus said this was going to happen. I remember it was right after the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, it was awesome. Things were going great. The 12 of us were together. We had about another 120 followers, and then thousands started showing up. I mean, there was like 5,000 people that showed up, and they all could. I don't even know how the people in the back could hear, but they didn't even leave early. They, they waited, and Jesus would teach, and everybody was like, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? And then they would sing it. And I mean, it was just like, woo Everything was going great. And then, and then I think maybe Luke was telling, telling Paul about things like Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew 10, 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And you think, huh? Sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So you got to think about this. Now, you got to understand, th these are actual events. Th sometimes when we read the Bible, we just read through them like it's a fairy tale, okay? Imagine Luke is there that day. The Sermon on the Mount just finished. There's thousands of people. They're at the apex of popularity. He can get into any restaurant he wants because he knows the rabbi. People are just trying to get close to Luke so Luke can get them close to Jesus. I mean, things are going great. He's thinking, I made the right career decision. This is taking off. I'm going to be in charge of all of Jerusalem. And then Jesus gets his 12 and he says, all right, gather around, boys. I want to tell you something. I'm about, one day, I'm going to send you out as sheep among wolves. And Luke, man, Luke's on take. He's like, okay. Huh. Well, I don't, that sounds awful. <laughs> but, but we are listening to Jesus here, right? And, and, and Jesus, so he'll put it like a Jesus juke on you. And so it'll start, like it, it starts out bad, but then by the end of it, it's going to be good. So let's just stay with him. It's probably going to get better. Yeah, you're going to be handed over uh, and, and sentenced before the governors and flogged. And Luke's going, oh, no. At Fourth of July at the beach the other day, I saw a guy, as he was taking his shirt off, that's been flogged. And it is not awesome. I mean, scarred for life. And he goes on to say, you're going to be flogged and you're going to be arrested. Look at verse 19. When, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious. Um, excuse me, Jesus. <laughs> I know this hasn't happened yet. And you're saying, when I'm arrested and handed over, don't be anxious. But I, I'm a little anxious just hearing about it now. You know, I kind of need a Tums and I don't even, it's not even happening yet. And he says, do not be anxious 
how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So if I'm in the crowd of the twelve, I'm going to call it, hey, Jesus, can, we, can I have a question? Can I ask a question in your lecture? Sorry to interrupt. Um, so you, you're saying that we're going to be arrested. Yeah. And we're going to be beaten. Yeah. And then when we're in jail, God is going to speak through us. That's right. So God knows that we're going to be in jail. Correct. Okay, I, I think I have a better plan. Um, <laughs> since God is almighty, do whatever he wants, and he already knows I'm going to go to prison for you. I'm not talking about I'm going to rob a car, right? I'm talking about I'm going because of you. Then instead of waiting till I get to jail and speak through me, why don't you just speak to them before I get there and keep me out of jail, right? And so Jesus keeps going, and he says in verse 28, And do not fear. And do not fear. The most commanded thing in all of the scripture. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Don't be worried. Be anxious for nothing. Do not fear. If you, if you go to the King James Version and you add up all of the times that command is given in some kind of form. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Have no fear. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. If you put them all together, there are 365 times in the King James Version that we, as God's people, are commanded, do not be afraid. Now, how do you do that? I mean, right? Because when I see that, I'm like, yeah, that's one for every day. Every four years, you get one day to be afraid. But other than that, you're good, right? And then you <clears throat> jot that down, do not be afraid. But, but how do you just don't be afraid? You're like, how many of you? Anybody afraid of heights in here? Come on, raise your hand. I won't make fun of you too bad. There you go. All right. So what? Mac, you're afraid of heights? You're seven feet tall, afraid of heights? Your whole life is fear. Okay, so, sorry. Uh, but what if I were to take you up on the roof and say, come on, get to the edge, get to the edge, and you're starting to get afraid, and I go, don't be afraid. Are you scared? Yeah. Stop. What are you, how? How? Hey, I'm just trying to preach the word to you 365 times. It says, do not be afraid. Stop yelling at me. You're making it worse. How do you do that? It's like when you command your kids to sleep. Now go to sleep. It's impossible. What do you do? And so Jesus says, and, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Man, that's, that's really intensifying. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. That's you, right, Jesus? Yep, that's me. Verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Like, what are you talking about? How, you just talking about killing my body in hell, and now we're talking about birds? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Verse 31. Here it comes again. Fear not, therefore. Now, don't tell Peter this next verse, okay? You are more, you have more value than sparrows. Jesus wants you to know that you are more important than birds. And yet not even one of them, that you can buy for a penny, not even one of them falls out of the sky without him knowing. He says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. What Jesus wants I, what what I'm, I'm, I'm hoping happens is that Luke is at some point explaining to Paul, hey, listen, Jesus, Jesus covered all this. And he said, he said, even when you're in jail, even when you've been flogged, even when you are sent out like a sheep among wolves, 
don't be afraid. And don't let your current circumstances dictate your theology. You need to understand that God loves you. And, and your, your circumstances don't dictate that. But God demonstrated his love for you in this, that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. And so don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Well, well how and why? If God is not going to just swoop in and change all of my circumstances when I'm walking through pain and when I'm walking through hardship and when I'm here, and let's be honest, it's his fault that I'm here, then how? How do I do that? How am I just, don't be afraid. Go to Mark chapter 4. I bet, I bet Luke was telling Paul about this story. Maybe Paul leans over to Silas and says, hey, listen, uh, Luke, who was part of the team, he, he told me about one time how the disciples were in this boat and they were crossing the Sea of Galilee and this storm comes out of nowhere. And even though four of the guys were fishermen, they thought they were going to die. Uh, we'll pick it up in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boats, so that the boat was already filling. Verse 38. But he, that's Jesus. But Jesus was in the stern, and what was he doing? Asleep on a cushion. So listen, wives, when your husbands fall asleep this afternoon on the couch, they're just like Jesus, all right? That's what I'm saying. But he was, I thought I'd get a heavy amen there too. He was in the stern, asleep on a cushion, and they awoke him and said, teacher, and you know what they're going to ask him? They're going to ask him what we ask God when we're in the middle of the storm. They're going to ask him, do you not care? Jesus, don't you care? Wake up. We're freaking out, and we need you to freak out with us a little bit, okay? And they wake him up and go, don't you care? There's a storm out here. Do, do you know what, Jesus, do you know what's happening? Which is a silly, how silly is that? He's Jesus. He created everything. He's going, look, I don't need a Weather Channel app on my iPhone to know what's going on. I'm in charge of it all, okay? And so they say, do you not care? And then they overreact. That we are perishing, literally in the Greek, that we are perishing to death. I mean, sort of what they say is, Jesus, you don't even care. and We're about to die to death. Come on, you've been there. You have been there. When you, you're like Paul and Silas, you find yourself in whatever prison it is, whether you got yourself there or you feel like God got you there, and you want to wake Jesus up. Hey, Jesus, uh, where are you at? Do you not care? You ever pray those prayers? We're informing God. <laughs> hey, God. Seems obvious to me that uh, you have turned your back on me. And so it, maybe it's just because you don't have all the information. So during this time of prayer, I'm going to inform you as to what's going on. And I've got the answer already worked out. So if you'll just pay attention. All right, ready, God? And then isn't that what we do? So God, don't you care that we're dying to death here? And then Jesus, verse 39, and he awoke and he was ready to rebuke something. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. I believe he was looking at the disciples when he said it. I mean, he's probably pointing at the wind, but he looked at his disciples and he said, peace be still. It's kind of a mom move. You know how moms do that to their kids? I've seen about it. All right, so peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm, verse 40. And he said to them, now he's going to ask them this crazy question. Why are you so afraid? Now, what if you're in the boat with him? Um, hello? Remember like 30 seconds ago where we all thought we were going to die because of the storm? And he's like, I know, I know. 
But why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? And if we're not careful, we begin to inform him. Well, see, here's why. Because I'm about to go bankrupt. I mean, I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I've given, been generous with my money, invested in this stuff. I started a business because I thought you told me to start it with this other guy. And now he's turned his back on me and I'm about to go bankrupt. That's why I'm afraid. Or you're saying, well, the reason I'm afraid, God, is because I'm about to get divorced. And I stood in an altar and she promised forever and she's not keeping her promise. Or, God, I got a call from the doctor and they use some words and it makes me afraid. That's why I'm afraid. So, so what, I, what you won't ever hear from me is, is I know you're walking through some stuff. And I'm never, I'm never going to tell you that stuff's not legit. All right, there are reasons to be afraid. There are reasons to be anxious. I know it's not easy. But then Jesus asked these guys, but, so why are you afraid? And then he follows it up with this. And he says, have you still no faith? You know what he's saying? He goes, look around the boat, boys. I'm here. I'm here. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be afraid because of your circumstances, because the circumstances are crazy. But you shouldn't be afraid because you're with me. That's what that have you no faith is all about. Don't you see that I'm right here? And so the most commanded thing in Scripture is don't be afraid. The reason? Because I'm with you. So JP is seven years old, and he's practicing his 40s already. That means that uh, every night he gets up. Uh, in the middle of the night because he's got to go to the bathroom. And so he gets up and he comes to my bed and he's so sweet at it. He, he, he comes to my side of the bed and he just kind of rubs me on the shoulder. And you ever get that like that just feeling? Like, I feel like I'm having a dream. Somebody's watching me and then you wake up and they're like, it's kind of creepy. <laughs> so I wake up and then JP says, Daddy, can I lay down with you for a little while? And it's just, it's awesome. But, but I know we got to go to the bathroom first. And so I said, bud, first you got to go to the bathroom, okay? And then he goes, but Dad, I'm scared of the dark. I'm like, son, it's not even logical. Okay, you just walk through the whole house in the dark to get to me. And it's just right, I can see the bathroom right there. Just go. And so I try to do what the Bible says. I just look at him and be like, do not be afraid. Well, how do you do that? Just don't be afraid. You know that scared part? Don't. What? So I do what all the dads do, right? What we have to do. See, the problem was when we were picking sides of the bed, I picked the side closest to the door. I didn't know that was going to be till death do us part, right? I didn't know. I chose poorly. Single guys, choose far away from the bed, all right, from the door. So, so you know what I do? I get up and I go with him. And he's not afraid. Why? Because it's not dark? No, it's, the situation has not changed. The only thing that's changed is that his dad's with him. And he knows if the boogeyman does come out, that dad can handle it, right? And so that's the why, that's the how, that's everything. The sum total of the command of do not be afraid is simply Jesus. He is, he is, he is not only the commander, don't be afraid, but he's also the answer of that, to not be afraid. Why? Because I'm right here. And so how in the world can Paul and Silas even make it through this moment? Because Paul knows, Paul knows Matthew 28. Paul knows, and, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the very ends of the earth. Paul was also rooted in the Old Testament, so Paul knew about this guy named Joshua. Paul knows Joshua 1.9. Paul knows that Joshua followed Moses. Moses was like the greatest leader ever, and then one day he goes up on the mountain to do his quiet time, and he 
dies and doesn't come back. And so then God says, all right, Joshua, you're in charge now. Joshua's thinking, sweet, okay, what do we do? And God commands Joshua, I want you to take the nation of Israel, and I want you to cross over the Jordan. I want you to go to war against the giants in the promised land. And Joshua's going, God, I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. I've been, I'm a professional wanderer. Every day I woke up with Moses, we wandered around, and we camped where we woke up. That's what we did for 40 years. I've never led an army. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid. And so in Joshua 1.9, God gives him this command, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Now here's the why. It's not because you're awesome, Joshua. It's not because I've given you gifts and talents, and if you just get a life plan and make the right decisions and come up with the right strategy and tactics, you'll do it. That's not the answer. The answer is, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So some of you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of you feel like Paul and Silas in prison. And what would you do if you really knew that God wasn't just with you, like walking next to you, but because you've surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ, that the Spirit of His Son lives in you. Anybody that acts what that way, they would do what Paul and Silas do in prison. So they're in the inner prison, and their circumstances are not getting better. Now, I don't, I don't want you to read past verse 25 all week, okay? Do not read the rest of this text. Now, I know you want to read your Bible so bad right now, but I told you you can't, all right? Pick another place, but you can't read here. Because here's how they respond regardless of the circumstances. You see, because sometimes we, we like to treat God like he's a genie in a bottle, right? And if I can figure out how to rub this lamp the right way, I can get, you know, genie God to pop up and grant my wishes. And first wish, you've got to go for more wishes. You have to. I know they say there's a rule about that, but I don't think so. So that's what you're going with first. But that's not how God operates. And so all they know is that God is with them. All they know is that Jesus is with them in the prison. And no matter how bad it gets, it could get worse because you could be in that same situation without Jesus and it's worse. And so how do you respond? How do you respond? This is how they respond. About midnight. Now again, in the inner prison. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, I'd be praying, dear God, get me out of here. All right, Silas, your turn. You better be good. Go. And that's not what they're praying. They're just praying and singing hymns to God. Why? Because he's with them. Because he's with them. And he never promised to get them out of the situation, but to be with them in it. That the gospel isn't, if you'll do right, if you attend church enough, and if you give enough money, and if you say the right prayers, and if you cannot do these bad things, then health, wealth, and happiness are yours. That's nowhere in the scripture. But what you get is you get him, and he's more than enough. And then it says, notice what it says, and the prisoners were listening to them. Have you ever encountered that person that really wakes up every day like they really believe that God's with them? And you see them walk through some tragedy, and you ask them, man, how are you doing? And you're kind of expecting, like they, it's almost like they've earned the right to just really complain and argue and, and cuss God and just Deep down in their soul, they say it's going to be all right. God's never been surprised. Sovereign God is still in control. And you're scratching your head going, what? Because if I were in your shoes, I think I'd be freaking out. And they will authentically say, oh, there's some freak out moments, but he's even with me in those too. It is just a, a peace that transcends understanding, isn't it? 
Doesn't it do something for your faith to watch somebody else walk through that with Jesus? And so Paul and Silas, they pray and they sing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And here's the point. Here's the point. The Bible 365 times says, have no fear. No fear comes not from a promise to protect from pain, but the promise of his presence. And so some of you are in those moments of pain, and it's not even your fault. Somebody betrayed you. Somebody has stolen from you. Somebody lied to you. Some of you have some family members that have betrayed you, and it feels like somebody stabbed you in the soul. And you would even look at Paul and Silas and say, look, I think I'd rather have the physical pain of the stocks than the spiritual, emotional, relational pain that I'm going through. And you say, what do you do? What do you do? Well, these guys prayed and sang hymns. Well, how in the world could they do that? These guys rested on the command, do not be afraid. How in the world could they do it? Because they really believed in the depth of who they are because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus that he was with them and that he wasn't finished yet. If you've ever walked with someone who's gone through, like lost somebody that they really loved, you know what one of the things they will turn to quickly? Heaven will not be, um, it's not a, a category for theology anymore. But eternity becomes a reality for those folks. They begin to think, you know what? In a, in a thousand years from now, it'll be all right. Maybe it doesn't feel all right right now, but in a thousand years, it's going to be all right because, because I know, I know the one that suffered and died on the cross for me has purchased me a place in his presence with the Almighty forever. And there, there is, there's no more tears and there's no more pain and there's no more mourning. But we're all invited in by the blood of Jesus, and it will be all right. And so what do we do in the meantime? We respond. We worship God. We respond. Even if we don't really feel like it, I don't know if they felt like raising their hands in the prison because, you know, maybe they were chained to the wall. But what did they do? They prayed and they sang hymns. And so even in your darkest place in your life, some of you are in dark, dark, dark places in your life, and you sing and you pray to God. And some of you are in lonely places in your life. And you pray and you sing hymns of praise to Him. And some of you are in dirty places in your life. And you feel like the, the filth can never come off. Well, by the blood of Jesus Christ, then you can be washed as white as snow. And you sing praise. And some of you are in pain like these men were beaten, battered, and bruised. And they sang hymns of praise. Why? Because they felt like it? No. No, but because God loved him so much that his son was beaten, battered, and bruised. That his son was in a dark place. That his son was in a dirty place. He had the, the sins of the world heaped upon him. That his, his son was alone, felt alone, abandoned by his friends, betrayed by the ones that said they would follow him forever. And on the cross took our place and absorbed the full wrath of an almighty God so that today... When you walk through pain and when you walk through strife, you don't have to walk alone because Christ has reconciled us unto the Father. And you serve a good dad that loves you. No matter what. Regardless of whether your circumstances change or not. This past year on our Jamaica mission trip, I got the opportunity to do one of the things that I love to do. Um, 
we, we took Roland swimming. Roland is a guy that lives in the infirmary. It's right next to the place where we stay. The infirmary is it's really like a, um, it's almost like a pound for people. In Jamaica, they'll just drop people off to die in the infirmary if they don't want to take care of them anymore. And so Roland, a friend of mine who loves Jesus and is a disciple of Jesus, and um, he was shot in the back in 1979 in Jamaica, and his family dropped him off at the infirmary. And he just lays in the same bed all day, every day, until we get back there again next year, and we'll, we'll take him out of his bed. And he loves the Lord, and he disciples some of the other guys there in the infirmary, and he just, if you start quoting a psalm, he'll just quote the whole thing out. I mean, he memorizes like, you know, like you get a verse and you feel kind of awesome and you don't even get it all the way right, but you just kind of make up the end of it. He, he'll quote like entire chapters of scripture. He's just an amazing man of God. And so a group of us scoop him up and, and take him out to the ocean and let him go swimming. And he loves to swim because he's paralyzed from about here down. And so one of the things that we'll do is I'll take his feet, they're frozen stiff, and I take his legs and his feet and I swim under the water and dig a little hole, kind of plant them in there and get, you know, just stick them in there really good. And then we all let go. We love to freak him out, right? So we're kind of holding him, and then we all just start backing up. He can't even feel what's happened to his legs, and then he, he realizes he's standing up, right? And what he'll do just over and over and over is he'll just say, bless you, Father. Bless you, Father. About two years ago, we are out there swimming out and doing all the same stuff, and, and it's just it's me, him, my brother, a couple other people, and I, and I just say, hey, Roland, when you get to heaven, when you get to heaven, what are you looking forward to most? And he goes, to see the Father face to face. You ever feel like you're not even really a Christian when you're standing right next to people like that? And I go, oh, I'm the pastor. And I'd go, walking, that'd be number one. Walk, I'm going to walk on the streets of gold as I walk to the banquet table while walking a lot. <laughs> and even in that, and then when we, when we finish, he doesn't even want to be dried off. He says, just put me in my bed, just wet with the salt water. And the whole time, we put him in his bed to see him again a year later. Next year is the next time he'll get taken out again. And he says, bless you, Father. Bless you, Father. Bless you, Father. Why? Because he actually believes that his circumstances don't dictate his relationship with the Lord. But God demonstrated his love for Roland in this, that while Roland was still a sinner, Christ died on the cross for him. And out of a response to that, he just blesseth the Lord. So no matter where you are today, whether you walked in here and God's favor is upon you, or you walked in here and you feel like you were at the end of your rope, we're going to do what the guys in the Bible did, and we're going to just sing out, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And what you have to understand is that God is in this place. That God is in here. When we assemble in Jesus' name and do Jesus' things and sing to Jesus, that God inhabits the praises of his people, and we are going to respond. We are going to respond by praying and singing hymns to an almighty God. So would you please stand and pray with me. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, we love you and we praise you because of who you are and what you have done for us. And God, you didn't do it because of us. You did it because of you. God, we thank you that we are adopted into your family as sons and daughters of the Most High King. And Jesus, when you left, you said that you were going to send a comforter, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you comfort during this time? There are some people, God, you know, I'm not informing you. You know, God, you know that they are in the dark places, in the dirty places, in the lonely places, in the painful places. With the Spirit of the Son, stir up 
in those people to cry out, Abba, Father, that we could bless you, God, that we could bless you with everything we're made of because you are with us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Hey, we respond in a few ways here to the, to the gospel. God initiates, we respond. We respond by bringing our tithes and offerings to the offering boxes all around or the giving kiosk in the back. Some of you might be walking through some serious pain, some serious betrayal, some serious hurt. And you might be asking what the disciples asked. Jesus, do you even care? I would invite you, I dare you to bring that right down to the altar and kneel down to him and just lay it out and watch him say, peace, be still. And then we're all going to collectively join our voices together and bless the Lord with everything we're made of. Let us sing.